Welcome to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. 1970s-style inflation is creeping back in America, and so is the double-digit rate of increase in prices. Yes, next year, inflation will be out of control, just like in the 1970s when the tie-dye shirt and bell-bottoms were all the rage, and we had an oil shock and interest rates of 20%. That's the alarming scenario our guest coming up is laying out for us. Inflation, says Dick Beauvais, the famed bank analyst at Odeon Capital Group, will be out of control by 2022, and the Fed in America will have no way to stop it. The problem? Too much money printing. You can't grow money supply 10 times faster than the economy and expect that inflation will stay low. I don't think that can happen. And if that can't happen, then interest rates can't stay low and, and we're, we're going to be in for trouble in 2022 and 2023. A voyage of discovery in an uncommon age of unparalleled scientific, economic, political and social upheaval, Life on Planet Earth searches for the unvarnished truth, answers, solutions, and above all, hope for our existential crisis. Dick Beauvais of Odeon Capital Group says that while prices will keep going up at 1970s style rates in America, you won't be told that by the government. It is going to try to cover it up. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. Oh, they, they have to disguise it because if, you know, we start to show 5 to 6% inflation in a CPI, everybody's Social Security payment for those tens of millions of people who get Social Security, they, that has to go up. The other thing that happens, obviously, is interest rates go substantially higher. And the biggest borrower, again, is the federal government. Sherlock, it's grand to have you back. protect her home and family in a disaster, Karen was willing to wade through water, mud, and insurance paperwork. Yeah, I can do this. You go, Karen! By simply understanding and updating what her insurance covers and doesn't cover now, she'll be better prepared no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. Well, I'm delighted to welcome back Dick Beauvais, a legendary bank analyst with Odeon Capital Group. And Dick, you were on my show some time ago, and we talked in broad terms about the debt we have in our economy and globally, federal debt, stimulus spending, the Federal Reserve buying back corporate bonds. It's just there's no end of it. It's a mountain of debt. But we've come to a new stage in this during our earlier conversation, we, we touched upon inflation and you noted that you asked questions about why is there no inflation signs of it. But most recently, you addressed that. And I want to read a note you put out to your clients recently. Ex-Vice President Cheney has been quoted as stating that federal budget deficits in America do not matter. Modern monetary theorists would agree 
They argue that federal deficits are beneficial in that they drive growth. Problems arise when the growth in deficits outstrips the ability of the economy to use the money created by the deficits. It appears to me that to you that federal deficits do not matter until they do matter. They matter when no one wants to pay for them. At that point, the central bank must make the payments, and that creates a problem. The problem is inflation. Explain to me what you're talking about. The uh, trailing 12-month uh, deficit, uh, I think, is $3.2 trillion at the present time. Uh, the estimates for this year, fiscal 2021, had been for $2.3 trillion. But now it looks like we're going to get this $1.9 billion uh, stimulus package. And in addition, uh, I believe we're talking about this August or September, another stimulus package, which could be even bigger than the $1.9 trillion. So, so, so let's just roughly guess that the uh, federal deficit is going to be $4.1, $4.2 trillion. Someone's going to buy it. Who's going to buy it? Well, basically, there are four sources, uh, generically, of buyers of, of the federal deficit. The first one, and the one that used to be the most important, was the, the Social Security Fund and associated you know, government uh, pension funds. Uh, a few, well, we'll say 10 years ago, roughly uh, four and a half of every $10 in debt outstanding was owned by the Social Security Fund and government funds. Uh, and they can't do this anymore. They've run out of the money to buy incremental debt. And in the last few quarters, they've been actually decreasing their ownership of the government debt. All right, the second generic fund is foreigners. And foreigners had gotten themselves up at one point to owning two and a half of every $10 in federal debt. And they don't seem to want to buy it anymore. So now we've taken out you know, those entities which have owned seven out of every $10 of the federal debt. So who now is going to buy it? Well, the American public. The American public, you know, basically, uh, you know, has stepped up and owns right now about three and a half of every $10. Now, again, I've, I've taken out the, uh, the, the Social Security Fund and the foreigners uh, to come up with that three and a half dollars. Uh, but that's still not enough. It doesn't eat up all of the debt that's being created by the federal government. So we have to find the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve must buy any debt issued by the government or any deficits you know, created by the government, and they have no option. They must do it. It's not a question. They must do it. So the net effect is they've been doing it. Last year in 2020, they bought $2.5 trillion. Uh, they added on to that 600 billion of mortgage-backed securities, and now you're up to three trillion, uh, not all of which is federal deficit. Uh, but what that did was it caused money supply growth to be 26% for the year. That just never happened since they redefined money supply back in 1980. So now, you know, let's let's take that 26% and spread it over two years. We've got money supply growing at, at 16% a year. We've got the uh, growth in GDP growing at 1.4% a year over that two-year period. So money supply is now growing 10 times faster than the economy. That's inflationary. Well, you said the U.S. will be back to a 1970s environment 
next year, inflation will be out of control and the US Federal Reserve will have no way to stop it. They're strong words, Dick. Yeah, well, I unfortunately, uh, I think the inflation that I'm talking about has already begun. You're not, you don't have to wait for next year. I think uh, if you take a look at commodity prices, um, which, you know, as you may remember, Alan Greenspan used to do uh, as his early warning signal as to uh, overheated economy, inflation, et cetera. Uh, you know, the, these commodity prices are rising pretty rapidly. I took a basket, uh, which includes certainly gold and silver, but also, you know, live cattle, lean hogs, uh, you know, sugar, soybeans, you know, you, you name it, it's, they're in there. And, you know, they're growing at this, you know, unbelievable 16% rate also. So I think that, you know, the inflation, you know, ha has already begun. But, you know, the, the reason why the Fed will not be able to stop it is because, again, if the federal deficits continue to grow and the Federal Reserve must buy them, in other words, the Federal Reserve cannot say, no, we don't want them, they must buy them. So if the federal deficits continue to grow and the Federal Reserve has to buy them, then they'll continue to print money at this incredibly rapid rate. And in printing money at this rate, they will create the, this, the inflationary environment that I think existed in the 1970s. But the official headline inflation rate in America now is hovering around 2%. So are these lagging numbers that you're talking about? No, I don't, I don't think they're lagging numbers. I, I raise questions concerning how the inflation numbers are created. I'll give you a simple answer than a, than a more complex one. The simple answer, for example, is that housing prices were up 10.6% last year, according to Fannie Mae. That's not in the CPI. Instead, what the CPI has is something called the imputed, uh, the implicit rental cost of owning a home, which of course has gone down because interest rates have gone down. So not only do we not show what the increase in housing prices are, but we put a number in which I think is, is not indi indicative at all of what's happening with housing price inflation. However, it's, it's more complicated than that. Let's assume you bought a cell phone uh, 20 years ago, and that cell phone cost 50 bucks. And yesterday you went out and bought a new one, and that cost $1,500. Did the price of the cell phone actually go up? Unknown, because you know the cell phone is now a movie camera. It's uh, an internet device. It is a device on which you can calculate Excel, Word. You know, it's a social media device. So what the... Um, CPI people have to do, the, the, the Bureau of Economic Analysis people have to do is they have to come up with what a value for each one of these functions were uh, 20 years ago and what the value of those functions are today, and then come up with what the inflation in that cell phone price actually was. They do that for every product made in the United States. They do that for products where, let's say the machine you know, was able to create 10 widgets uh, 20 years ago, and that same machine creates 200 widgets today because of improvements in design, et cetera, et cetera. That has to be accounted for. And that lowers the rate of inflation in terms of the price of that machine. So I don't believe uh, that the um, CPI or even the GDP deflator, you know, is calculated in a fashion which would show, you know, if you were gross inflation, if we can call it on that basis. But you and I, you know, you can't buy that cell phone that existed 20 years ago because 
it doesn't exist. So you have to pay, you know, for all of these features, which you may or may not want. Uh, and therefore, for you, the price is going up meaningfully. So next year, as inflation gathers steam, will the real numbers be reflected in the public domain? Will the Federal Reserve say, hey, yeah, really, we're into 5 6 7% territory here or more? Or will they do what they're doing now and disguise it? Oh, they, they have to disguise it because if, you know, we start to show 5 to 6% inflation in a CPI, everybody's Social Security payment for those tens of millions of people who get Social Security, they, that has to go up. And, and the Social Security fund, as I said earlier, is running into trouble collecting the money now to make the payments. What happens if, you know, we've got a 5 to 6% inflation rate? The other thing that happens, obviously, is interest rates go substantially higher. And the biggest borrower, again, is the federal government. And therefore, the federal government's cost is going to go up. I mean, the federal government cannot pay the interest on the debt today with its current you know, revenue streams. It cannot pay to roll over the debt, again, using its current revenue streams. Now, presumably, what would stop the inflation is a significant tax increase, which would result in a significant uh, recession. Uh, so we're looking at some very tough issues that have to be worked out you know, over the next uh, couple of years. And I don't think anybody's going to like the results. You're saying the Federal Reserve is playing with the numbers and that it is pretending inflation is low when, in fact, it's much higher, and they're going to play that game into next year. Yeah, well, it's not the Federal Reserve that, that produces the inflation numbers. It's a, it's a different, different government agency. Uh, and, and I'm saying, yeah, I'm saying that, that they are under pressure to keep the inflation number down because if they let the inflation number go up meaningfully, it's going to cost the U.S. government a staggering amount of money. Okay, well, here's where I'm, I'm, I'm troubled, Dick, that you can determine and you have mentioned the various prices and people can look up the public records and they can go to the markets and can see where commodities are at. So why wouldn't this government agency play that same game, play by the same rule book? Well, well again, um, let's assume that the government, you know, took the same approach to manufactured goods like a cell phone as it takes to the price of soybeans. I mean, the price of soybeans is simple. You know, you can't say that there's more value added in the soybean today because it has more minerals or vitamins or what have you in it. You know, you've got to take what was the price of the soybean yesterday? What is the price today? You just don't do that with manufactured goods. With manufactured goods, you have to look at the functionality of the product today versus what the functionality was in the past. You have to look what the uh, productivity of the devices versus what the productivity versus what the productivity was in the past. And when you do those things, you can lower inflation meaningfully. And there is a tremendous need for that to happen because, again, I, I apologize for repeating, but you can't. You can't let inflation get out of hand. Otherwise, Social Security payments will get out of hand, and so will uh, the, uh, the uh, interest rates on the, on the federal debt. I apologize for that phone ringing. 
That's very good. Well, you're a busy man, Dick. The real inflation will be in 1970s levels next year by your forecasts. So let's look at the 1970s. The average inflation rate through that decade, surprisingly enough, was only 6.8% in or around. But there were double digit. It was volatile. So it moved up and down. So an average is simply just an average, obviously. But we had double digit inflation and we had an awful lot of economic and social turmoil as a result of that inflation. And I read a very interesting account of one person who was talking about how it impacted his own family's life. He was saying his dad's pension check back in the 70s of this period of stagflation, as they used to call it. It used to cover his rent for two months, but because of inflation, it was only then covering two weeks. I guess that speaks to your point that if the if the government agency who calculates the inflation numbers was being honest, it would create another set of issues and they would not be able to deal with it credibly, it seems. Well, I mean, I always like to use this story. Uh, you know, my father and I, uh, you know, my father loved to go grocery shopping. And one day uh, when I was 17, you know, I went grocery shopping with him and he was complaining about the price of bread, which was roughly at that time, 19 cents a loaf. Uh, and I said, Dad, this is only 19 cents a loaf. Why are you complaining? He said, well, because when I was your age, it was a penny a loaf or two pennies a loaf. Uh, and so if you go buy a loaf of bread today, you can't get it at two pennies a loaf. You can't get it at 19 cents per loaf. You know, depending upon what your tastes are, you may have to pay two bucks for that loaf of bread. That's inflation. And that's how it, you know, that's how somehow it should be calculated in the numbers. I mean, how many loaves of bread can you buy today versus what you bought, you know, uh, know, a year ago, two years ago, three years ago? And you do that for all a, a basket of products, but it's not the way it's done. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. My guest is Dick Beauvais, the famed bank analyst at Odeon Capital Group, And we're talking about what's just ahead for prices in America. Inflation, reminiscent of the 1970s, when prices were out of control. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. Who are the winners and losers in this vicious cycle of inflation as we go into the next 12 months? Well, I I think that... um... In, in the beginning of an inflation, uh, you know, most people win because they're going to pay back their debt with uh, cheap dollars and they borrowed expensive dollars. Uh, you know, if you're a financial company like a bank, you're going to win because your loan losses are going to go down, your margins are going to go up, your unit sales are going to be higher. Uh, but ultimately, you're going to be devastated because these cheap dollars just don't buy as much in real goods as they used to. The people who benefit most are farmers uh, because basically 
the value of everything that they produce is increasing and the value of the land which produces it, it increases. So, you know, when people ask me what's the most, what is the best way to protect itself against inflation, I say go buy a farm because that's where that's where you get that tremendous, uh, you know, benefits from, from the increase in prices. You know, now people would tell you gold and silver. Uh, I personally own a couple of uh, cryptocurrencies because uh, not not Bitcoin, unfortunately, but but uh, because I think that you know who knows maybe people will think that that's a store of value. So you know people will be searching for for you know some type of uh, value that they can obtain and, and stay with, uh, and, and it's going to be extremely difficult. Um, you know, for, for the average person to, 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 to deal with inflation. It's just not good. I mean, I, this woman, Emily Schlaes, you know, the, the conservative writer, you know, wrote this book about the depression in which she argued that she couldn't understand why uh, the Federal Reserve was so intent on keeping prices up or why the government was so intent on keeping prices up um, because they should have let prices go. Uh, and, you know, I don't understand today why the Fed thinks it is so good to have 2% inflation uh, if workers are not going to get 2% increases in their income. I, I, I don't get it. I don't understand why inflation is good for anybody. By your measure, we'll have double-digit inflation over the next 12 to 24 months? I, I think the official rate will go up, but you know, I, you know, it's hard. I can't tell you with any degree of certainty that we'll have double-digit inflation in 12 months. I mean, I don't know. What we'll have, in my view, is significantly higher rates of inflation, whether that's 6%, 8%, really doesn't matter to me, uh, because 6%, 8%, 12% are all going to create the same type of uh, distress that uh, you would imagine if prices just simply continue to go up. When consumers go shopping or somebody goes to buy their car or looking to buy a home or just do general shopping, they're going to see the prices creep up there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're seeing it right now on houses, right? In other words, if uh, you go to buy a house today, you know, again, if Fannie Mae's numbers are correct, uh, and I believe they are, uh, you're looking at 10.6% increase in the price of that home, the house prices is gone up meaningfully. Uh, and, you know, w- w- I don't know, w- when you go to the store, uh, you're buying products which don't have the benefit of technological, uh, if you will, innovation to drive their prices down. So y- you are seeing some some increase in, in the price of, uh, you know, the goods that you purchase at the store. Um, you know, not, not manufactured prices as much as, you know, raw goods prices, if I can call it that. A lot of workers, whoever is working, there's a lot not working, obviously, with the COVID shutdowns, are not getting pay increases to keep up with this. Well, that's what that big argument is in Congress right now about a $15 minimum wage. Um, It's very difficult for any family anywhere to survive on today's minimum wage. It just, just cannot be done. What's your thoughts on how the Federal Reserve are handling this pandemic economy just pumping. We've spoken about this before, but we're at another stage in it where more money is ready to be infused into the economy. Uh, we've talked about that and the inflationary impact. What's your take on it at this point? Are they going too far? Are they driving the economy over the cliff? 
or are we going into some madness, some voodoo kind of economy? Well, basically, um, the Federal Reserve set up 13 what they call facilities to uh, siphon funds into the economy, to strengthen the economy. The problem is it, it didn't work, right? In other words, five of those facilities, you know, the, the, the Main Street Lending Program, their, their participation in the Paycheck Protection Program, the, the what they call a TAL program, um, they get money directly into the economy. Those problems, those programs are insignificant in size. Uh, and they basically have not, you know, resulted in any significant increase in economic activity. On the other hand, all of the other facilities that the Fed has, you know, those that uh, protect primary dealers, those that protect the commercial paper market, those that, uh, you know, deal with uh, buying, uh, you know, treasuries, which are buying mortgage-backed securities, those programs are working incredibly well. And the Fed is doing a phenomenally good job in, in handling that side of the equation. In other words, the financial side of the equation is being handled magnificently. The economic side of the equation, they just don't have the capability to solve. They can't get at it. They keep promising they'll do something about it, but they're making a promise which it, it is not working. And if, if we go back to these money supply figures again, um, let's say 10, 15 years ago, a dollar of M2 would get you somewhere between a dollar eighty to $2 in, if you will, economic at a growth in, in GDP, right? Today, a dollar of M2 is getting you a dollar 13 in economic growth. And that is the most dramatic way, I mean, the velocity of money, if you will, that is the most dra dramatic way of showing that all of this money is not creating economic growth, just isn't happening. There are too many other factors, the, the pandemic, the uh, you know growth in the economy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, basically, um, you can't solve it by printing money. Uh, and, and that's what we think we're doing. We think we're solving the problem by printing money. We're not. The problem we're solving by printing money is paying for the government deficits. You're a free enterprise proponent. Um, you favor the capital markets. When you look at how our economy is regulated and managed by the Federal Reserve and all the stimulus spending, do you ever step back and say, wow, this is starting to look like a banana republic? Well, yeah, I, I personally think that uh, we have massive overkill with regulation. I, I think that the banks are overregulated. I think that the um, Federal Reserve has way too much power. I think, um, you know, that uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, uh, you know, which control the housing industry in the United States are now, if you will, government entities. Uh, and therefore, the whole housing finance industry in the United States is, is controlled by the government. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think that we, we've, we've stifled growth in the, in the U.S. economy through overregulation. And in the financial sector, uh, overregulation is, is simply mind-blowing. Do you ever worry about a financial collapse? Yeah, but it won't come as a result of a lack of financial, uh, if you will, fund availability. It will come because what you're using to resolve the problem has no value. In other words, if you, if you create so much money, and, and you know, extreme examples, Weimar Germany or, uh, you know, the 
countries in South Africa, not South Africa itself, but South African countries that thought that they could, uh, you know, drive their economy by printing paper. It, it, it didn't work because ultimately the paper had no value. And again, that's why these cryptocurrencies are doing so. It's one of the reasons why these cryptocurrencies do so well. It's because basically uh, people are striving to find some, some uh, unit of measure that is consistent in value. And certainly the cryptocurrencies have not proven to be that. But the point is that, uh, you know, we, we constantly look for something that we can transact in, which has, you know, stable value. And the dollar has always been that for, for us, you know, at least in, in, in the last 50, 100 years. But the point is, um, if we keep printing dollars at the rate that we're printing them, the dollars will not be an indicator of stable value. And that is, is going to be highly problematic. Is there an argument out there that maybe we should anchor it to something like gold again? We came off the gold standard back in the 70s. And of course, the 70s was a period of stagflation. We should anchor it to uh, the productivity of the economy. Okay. It should be anchored to GDP. Uh, gold simply doesn't grow as rapidly as the population grows. As, 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 the, as the global population grows, it doesn't grow as rapidly as, as the economy grows, although the economy didn't grow in the last year or so. But the point is, I think that, uh, you know, you know, it, monetarism is dead for, for a lot of good reasons. But, you know, the theory was that M2 would grow at the same rate as uh, GDP. Uh, and, you know, it did for a period. And, and I think that's that's how money supply should grow. It should grow in line with uh, the growth in the economy. Well, of course, uh, Joe Biden and his team got in on the back of many promises, eliminating student debt, uh, student debt relief, relief for other distressed sectors of the economy and bailouts. And some of that is needed, but you take it so far, you end up in a crisis situation. Well, unfortunately, uh, you know, President Biden is going to have to, if he wants to put through all the programs he's putting through, and he wants to avoid, you know, massive inflation, he's going to increase taxes. And, and unfortunately, we're going to see a, a, re a request from the president and the Democrats in Congress to increase taxes relatively sizably on um, businesses and on the wealthiest members of the economy of, of uh, our society, um, and, and that's going to create quite an uproar. Well, we've seen calls for that already with this wealth tax. And do you think maybe middle class earners, property taxes, will we see them try to move the tax bans there as well? Yeah, well, I mean, ultimately, I mean, if we do get a high level of inflation, you're going to have to raise taxes. I don't know how you avoid doing that. Okay. I mean, Paul Volcker, unfortunately, has, has passed away, and he's never going to be the chairman of the Fed again. Uh, and the <laughs> solution, as you know, was uh, you know to drive interest rates up uh, to, to such high levels that he created two back-to-back -back recessions, uh, and he did break the inflation in doing so. Uh, so it's always it's, it's inflation is painful, and the resolution to the problem inflation of inflation. Is, is even more painful. Are you saying the Fed will stay clear of raising rates or only do it in a very small, slow steps? Well, 
that's actually a very complicated question, you know, because the, the Fed, as it was initially designed, um, you know, in 1913, was never thought to be an independent agency. In other words, the uh, Woodrow Wilson had to get William Jennings Bryan to get the Democrats to agree to pass the rule that allowed for the creation of the law that allowed for the creation of the Federal Reserve. And basically, in, in that, um, if you will, passage, the, the, the promise was made that the Fed would never be independent. Uh, and, you know, quite frankly, no president ever believed that the Fed should be independent. Uh, you, you, I don't care if you want to take a look at Roosevelt, uh, you know, Truman, uh, you want to look at, uh, you know, uh, you know, like, uh, well, Reagan, you know, it's, it's Treasury Secretary Baker, uh, you know, Johnson, uh, you know, you name it, Nixon. None of these presidents thought that the Fed should be independent. Uh, and, and therefore, you know, President Trump was not incorrect in, in taking away the independence of the Fed, in my view. So um, the, the whole issue of who's going to direct the Fed, who's going to direct, you know, what money supply growth, I think is really going to be the federal deficit more than a bunch of human beings. And so, you know, we'll, we'll just have to we'll, we'll just have to go with the flow here and see how that's going to fall out. But you're not making any calls here or predictions on rising interest rates later in the year? Oh, no, I, I think interest rates are heading higher. Yeah. They're going to go. Well, long-term rates are moving higher. Yeah. Now, the, the Fed rate, the official rate, what is it? Like we're almost like near 0%. Well, I mean, the Fed will, will, will attempt to keep it where it is. I mean, uh, the Fed will attempt to keep the uh, short rates, the overnight rates, you know, the, the federal funds rate, you know, at, at where it is. Whether they can do so, if we run into a high level of inflation, it is questionable. I mean, I, I don't think they can do so, but, uh, you know, there are, there are all these unknowns that, that, that uh, you know, we're going to have to see about. The only known that I'm basically staying with is you can't grow money supply 10 times faster than the economy and expect that inflation will stay low. I don't think that can happen. And if that can't happen, then interest rates can't stay low, and, and we're, we're going to be in for trouble in 2022 and 2023. So you're saying consumers should stock up now, buy cheap, stock up on their pastas and food stuff, buy their car, think about buying another home. Maybe it's a great hedge against inflation, any of that? Well, you know, when they start doing that, you know, you know that inflation is here because, you know, you will now be building into the price of goods presumption of inflation and that it will be in it. It's self-perpetuating. That's what happened in past periods. People got nervous, market psychology, and people started bidding up stuff. So it fed on itself as well. Yeah, yeah it does. I mean, you know, and, and I, I have a very, very simplistic view. I'm not talking about changes in wage rates. I'm not talking about productivity. I'm not talking about what's happening with technology. I'm simply saying, if you've got money supply growing at the rate it's growing and the economy growing at the rate that it's going, you, you, you're going to find that the inflation is going to increase. And I think that uh, you know, much smarter people than I am have the ability to take a look at how it affects each one of these levels of economy uh, and, and get a better feel and projection. But uh, all I'm saying is you cannot have money growing 10 times faster than economic output and expect prices to remain the same. 
Well, Dick, on that sage and wise note, I will thank you for coming on my show. Stay well, and we'll catch up and watch the markets. You've been listening to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. To reach the host or learn about advertising or sponsorship opportunities, call 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. That's 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com.